0: You divine beings, give to the Lord, give to the Lord glory and power. Give to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bow down to the Lord in holy splendor. The Lord's voice is over the waters. The glorious God thunders. The Lord is over the mighty waters. The Lord's voice is strong. The Lord's voice is majestic. The Lord's voice breaks cedar trees. Yes, the Lord shatters the cedars of leaven. He makes Lebanon jump around around like a young bull. makes Syrian jump around like a young wild ox. The Lord's voice unleashes fiery flames. The Lord's voice shakes the wilderness. Yes, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The Lord's voice convulses the oaks, strips the forest bare. But in his name, everyone shouts, glory. But um, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood waters. The Lord sits enthroned, King forever. Let the Lord give us strength to His people. Let the Lord bless His people with peace.
1: It's good to be with y'all in this first Sunday of Epiphany. When some of us think of Epiphany, um, well, what I, I won't, I won't put words in your mouth. What do you think of when you think of an Epiphany? Say it again. Like, it yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, that's a really deep answer. That's amazing. Yeah, we'll, ta- we'll talk later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Um, I didn't expect like a classics answer. Yeah, uh, Like I think of a, like a light bulb going off in a cartoon. <laughs> we should have done Family Feud, right? Uh, <laughs> Or like that moment where it hits you, I left my keys in the refrigerator. Like I've been looking all over and that's where they are. This is definitely a season for open eyes, for unveiling, for revealing, for um, appearance, for bringing to light. For those of us that didn't grow up or hadn't been involved in traditions, I recognize this. It's also kind of a beautiful way to extend the energy that we've expended during Christmas without, like, that hard stop or the premature moving on towards Valentine's Day that all of our retail outlets are trying to move us straight to mid-February right away, right? Um, Epiphany is kind of something slower, something sneakier. It surely can't be commodified or sold if, if Christmas is the feast, and I'm not just talking about the day, I'm talking about the whole season of Christmas. If Christmas is the feast, epiphany is the metabolism. If, if Christmas is the delivery of the gift of Jesus into God's world, epiphany is the opening of that gift, the enjoyment of that gift, the sharing, the thank you note writing for the gift. Last Sunday, uh, we got to join with uh, some of our sisters and brothers from Kanu, uh, our friends that also meet uh, in this building. And we celebrated the feast of the three kings and it was so fun. And this is a vital epiphany story, kind of quintessential epiphany story. This is literally the gift giving of Persian philosophers to a baby king. All the prophecy of all the promises of God being blown wide open to the whole creation and all of the world, are becoming yes and amen in Jesus. And all that talk, um, especially if we know like Isaiah, all the talk in Isaiah about the, the kings coming marching in, in New Orleans they talk about the saints coming marching in, but it's really the kings bringing all their gifts and all their cultural particularities to the table, to lay before God, those are being inaugurated with these precious gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh coming from a far off place to Jesus. The light is lightning. The gift is being received. The presence of God is being sensed and grasped and being, being made known and being made room for. What was perhaps lost in our kids' celebration was the sort of wisdom that these wise men had. Uh, it's not, not just like... Um, they're, they're often portrayed as like magic, right? The, the magi, right? And so they have this... this uh, really peculiar and strange, far-off knowledge, but they also had a really earthy, like, streets knowledge, too, I think. Part of their epiphany was to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. They were discerning enough to be able to kind of cut through the nonsense and sense and oppose King Herod's violent motives for trying to find out where the baby Jesus, this, quote, new king, was going to be. But they were also tender enough that once they got there, they were able to worship and adore this emerging Lord in a manger. It's it's really like an amazing kind of uh, template for us. The Magi, in their pursuit of the way and the truth and the life, give us a model for moving towards and working with Jesus. They show us action, maybe even resistance, but also contemplation and worship. They speak truth to power, but they also submit to and adore the truth. Another great epiphany moment comes to us today in in Scripture from Matthew's Gospel. Several of the Gospels have it. I'll read it from Matthew's Good News, and it's of the baptism of Jesus. I'll read from Matthew 3. At that time, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River so that John would baptize him. John tried to stop him and said, I need to be baptized by you, yet you come to me. Jesus answered, allow me to be baptized now. This is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized, he immediately came up out of the water and heaven was open to him. And he saw the spirit of God coming down like a dove and resting on him. A voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I dearly love. I find happiness in him. This is God's word for God's people. So this must have been quite a spectacle. (laughs) Almost like a tent revival of sorts, right? I really can't imagine such a thing now. That you'd be getting all of these people coming out of the woodwork to make a public show about their necessity to change their ways. The only like kind of analogy we have is like the YMCA in January, right, coming out in public to to show like, I want to be different and better, right? But these people are stripping down in public to bathe in the Jordan, to let their old ways wash downstream and to come up as new. I still can't help but think about that strange and eccentric river baptism scene and oh brother where art thou? It's track soundtrack by Gillian Welch, right? (laughs) Go watch that, but don't tell anyone that I told you to, right? (laughs) But nowadays, we want more privacy than that. We want every head bowed and every eye closed. We couldn't possibly flock to some eccentric, backwoods, wild-eyed preacher who was way too into local honey before it was like a thing, right? And he keeps raving on and on about... Someone yet to come, someone great, someone who would send him to the floor in adoration. Mark's gospel talks about how John was so not worthy that he couldn't even be the slave that would tend to Jesus' footwear, right? Note even more than a bit of irony here, though, when Jesus approaches and asks to take the plunge into the river where God's people had been led to the promised land. I wonder if the first epiphany happens right here in this first approach. That there's a recognition in John of Jesus, you see. We're told in Luke's gospel, before, that John, before John was the baptizer, it was like John the fetus, right? And he leapt in his mother's womb at the approach of his Aunt Mary bearing Jesus. This is the first epiphany. John had the plot right he had to wonder if he ever would have thought its climax would involve the cousin he'd known longer than his whole life. Then the second bit of irony comes with the sandal comment in Mark's gospel. And Jesus is fulfilling that role of the one who is stronger, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John will baptize with water, but Jesus will baptize with the Spirit. And now this one would be the one that would be dunked. Just didn't feel right felt scandalous to John. It still scandalizes biblical scholars that Jesus, the one without sin, claiming if not actually to be divine, to be in close quarters with divinity, would now submit to a baptism meant for sinners. Meant for those who are less than. Meant for those who had strayed. Meant for prodigals. It just doesn't make sense. Why would he do it? Why would John let him do it? You sense that tension in John. What do you think was going on? What did others think? These are exactly the questions that you should be pressing into when you're reading your Bibles. Don't scare away from them because these are the questions that lay down some of the like, kindling nest for the spark of epiphany. Right. You see, the key moment then happens when God's voice rends the clouds. And the spirit descends like a dove. This minute, so many things are happening. It calls back and it echoes to huge movements of God in the history of God's people. Do you remember the spirit dove descending over the waters as in creation? Bringing form and goodness to God's, uh, by God's voice over the world. God saying, let it be, and there was, let it be, and there was, and it was good, it was good, it was very good. Where the spirit dove broods over the waters as over the flood. When a whole new world would come about because of God's severe mercy and Noah's faithfulness. Ooh, and then that voice. That voice, David wrote a song about that voice. Owen read it earlier. It said it was a David psalm. That voice thunders from the Lord of glory and power. That voice calls over the waters. That voice is strong and majestic. And for as constructive as that voice has been, don't think for a second that it is any less powerful than any hurricane or any tornado that you've ever seen. Owen read about how that voice strips the bark off the mightiest cedars and oaks who've grown strong with deep roots. Any pretension that these beautiful fixtures of creation might have This voice withers. We've all had like a mom or a grandma or an aunt that has that voice that would wither you, right? Yeah. Or Lebanon and Sion, they're secure in their accomplishments. They're getting tossed and turned over with none of the control or coordination that they so prize. This voice is brutally unconcerned with who you think you are or what you say you've done all because the Lord sits enthroned, king forever. And remember, this is a David psalm. It's written not only by the king, but it's written by someone who is seen as the Messiah, the Lord's anointed, the one with the spirit of the Lord resting upon them. This is David at his best, knowing exactly who he was and who he wasn't. So then flashback to the banks of the Jordan. And it's this voice that rips open the heavens. Mark's gospel is even more explicit. It's it's like this violent tearing, right? But instead of gale force winds that we might expect, instead of the voice out of the whirlwind, do you remember that in Job, the voice out of the whirlwind? Instead, this voice speaks tender words of a parent. You are my son, whom I dearly love, In you, I find happiness. Perhaps that's enough of an epiphany. We can just go home from here, right? Realizing for you this morning that the voice which you've only assumed could blister or disrupt is more than capable of also being the voice of comfort and care and tenderness and affection to you. I assure you that those voices are the same. They're one in the same, that... Any power and glory that David's song wrote also comes from the intimacy of being one after God's own heart. David knew what it was to sin, and David also knew what it was to be forgiven by God. So this is the message of epiphany. I hope you don't miss it. This is the voice that's been calling out to each of us forever, which some of us have heard and some of us have learned how to mute. Some of us hear it only as like a faint white noise that is in the background and we've determined it's no longer all that interesting and important. And some of us have never heard this voice or even assumed that it could be possible. This is the voice of the enthroned one calling out to Jesus and calling out to us via Jesus. you are my child, my daughter and my son, whom I dearly love and with you I am well pleased. With you I find happiness. That's why Jesus was baptized. Not for him, but for us. So he could identify with us and we with him. So we'd find him in those waters. And so that we'd hear that voice. So much is made of the way that Jesus atones for us. And that's just like a fancy divinity school, seminary word for making us at one with God. Atone is to be be remade as one with God. When our sin and the corruption of this world pulls us away and sends us into exiles, maybe you're familiar with this language of vicarious substitution. That Jesus stands in our place as a substitute for what we deserve. But maybe we should also expand that idea of vicarious substitution to include not only his death on the cross, but also his birth, in his life, in his baptism, in his resurrection, in his ascension. This is what it means to say, I'm in Christ, is that everything I have is now in Jesus, and that now I possess everything that Jesus possesses. That Jesus came to stand exactly in our shoes. And invites us to be swept up with him, to find our lives in him, to experience this epiphany that 2 Corinthians 5 can only find like strange punctuation for when it says, If anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Don't trust your, your translations to say, If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. It is If anyone is in Christ, there's a whole new creation, period, everywhere. It's all new. And a big part of this springing new creation is being remade into sons and daughters. Remade into sons and daughters of God that we've always been but we've denied or we've forgotten. And that voice calls down to Jesus, it calls down to us. It says, you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you. You make me divinely and eternally happy in exactly the way that Jesus, my son, from before time in creation makes me happy. Do we we trust God to even have that thought for us, right? Again, this is not new stuff, but maybe you need to hear it anew today. Maybe you need to hear some sort of epiphany as the younger lost son who had already had all his fun and spent his trust fund and was sick of hitchhiking and starving to death from the prodigal story did. In Luke 15, uh, 17 through 19, it says, but when he came to himself, I think that's like an epiphany word, right? When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The, the, the prodigal is already making up his excuse to become uh, a worker, not a son. He's already unsunned himself and so he doesn't think it's possible to become a son again. Marilyn Robinson wrote this trilogy and there's a, I'm so excited there's a new book to this trilogy. It's gonna be a four part. Um, fiction uh, around the story of the prodigal son, starting with Gilead, and the new one's called Jack. And she writes, love is holy because it's like grace. The worthiness of an object is never really what matters. Love is holy because it's like grace. The worthiness of its object is never really what matters. It's been said that this trip into the far country, if there was ever a chance for us to come to ourselves, was needed to be taken by Jesus, not by us. We're, we, go, we go to that far country like it's our job. But Jesus went to this far country too. Jesus went through those waters of baptism for us and with us. This trip was taken by the son who had never not known his worthiness to be called God's beloved son. But we needed Jesus to take this trip. We needed him to come to us, to abide with us, our Lord and Emmanuel, to lead us home and by grace through the liberating waters of baptism into the joy of the Father. This is how all this works. Jesus goes to the waters and it's a precursor to Jesus going to and through the cross for us so we might join him. Many of us are motivated in this new year To get our lives back on track, raise your hand if you're doing something now that you weren't doing in the last week of December to make yourself a better, healthier, more sustainable person, right? Yeah. That's a good thing. No. You thought I was going to just like totally overturn that, right? You should do those things. You Go to the gym, read a book, wake up early and pray. Those are all really good things. Some of that feeling though, why we do those things, is really good, and it's really true, and it's really amazing to have these markers. We have so many of those in our uh, Christian calendar. When we have the season of Advent, where we prepare and make room for Jesus' coming, we have that season of Lent, where we deny ourselves and we completely recalibrate uh, our lives. But some of that, like, desire to do these things stems from pressures on us and around us. Pressures like to feel in control or to compare well with those around us. Forget those. <laughs> Epiphany subverts this kind of working towards our own rightness, our own righteousness, our own goodness. Jesus' baptism was in order to fulfill all righteousness. That's the apology that he gave to John. It calls us to put our hearts and our minds and our bodies in places and situations where like John the Baptist, we can be interrupted and we can be shifted and we can be put into service with Christ in ways that we wouldn't have assumed for ourselves. So going forward this week, do all of those things that you were doing and that you're probably paying to do. Um, But please, please, please go with open eyes to see Christ to see Christ showing up again and again. Go like putting yourself in a position to have epiphany, even little ones. Go expecting to see Jesus in the faces and lives of those around you, of those in need, maybe even especially in like the closest and most proximate ones around you whose needs are kind of just annoying, they're not spectacular needs like the needs of your kids, or the needs of your spouse, or the needs of your roommate, or the needs of your coworker. Those obnoxious needs might be places of epiphany. But also, um, put yourself in proximity to those with great need, the faces and lives of the poor. After uh, a group of us went over to Jubilee Home, Uh, Dave Crispell posted, and he said, thanks to Oak Church and everyone who came out this afternoon to serve a community meal on Olmstead and Dawkins. It's amazing the transformations that can happen when we choose to put our bodies in close proximity to our neighbors. Uh, Dave understands as well as anyone that epiphany happens when we put our bodies in places where Jesus promises to show up. So go with open eyes to see Jesus, and you will probably be interrupted in that. You will likely be surprised, even in the midst of your routines. Go also this week with open ears to hear God's voice, both like the thundering voice of the Lord, which blisters our laziness and violence and selfishness and insularity and opens us up to hearing and knowing and reclaiming our deep belovedness as daughters and sons of God made possible by our elder brother, Jesus, going before us and walking with us. Go also this week with open hands, ready to receive the gifts of God. Actually, open your hands right now as you're sitting there because we're we're about to end and we'll pray. Just have your hands open before you. Maybe this morning is a time when you want to receive the gift of Jesus for the first time. We're all about that. You can receive the gift of Jesus for the first time. When we gather around this table each week, we enact that giving and receiving. For God so loves the world, he gave his only begotten son so that whomever believes doesn't die but lives an above and beyond always and forever life with God. This is why when we come to the table, we come with empty, open hands ready to receive from God's grace. And we come with hearts that that are ready and expect to become what we eat, the body of Christ. So with open hands, will you all pray with me? Lord Jesus, in this Special season of Epiphany, open us. Open us up to you. Open us out to our neighbor. Open our eyes and ears and hands and hearts.